0: Morning. Okay, we're going to continue in the book of Matthew, uh, and today's message is entitled How to Move Mountains. Now, we're still breaking this book down uh, into a, a series format, and we're in a series right now uh, called Blind Faith, and today's one of those, this is one of those sections in scripture that you may read through, and after you read it, you're like, what? I mean, you ever, you ever read through a section of scripture, and you go past, and you're going, I'm not sure what I just read. Yeah, I mean, anybody ever read that passage? Well, this this can be one of those passages, but it's really a discussion between being faithful and fruitful, and it's and it's really that shows the correlation between the two. So this is a really cool passage. Let's jump right in. It's Matthew, starting in chapter 21, verse 18. It says, "Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only." And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Okay, this is one of those sections. Like I said, it's kind of a strange section, but when you take a close look at it, it makes perfect sense. Um, But let's start by talking about the time frame of today's message because that's really, really important. Okay, Uh, this is the last week of Jesus' life physically here on earth. This is his last week. Okay, so we know that he had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Sunday, right? And that same day, that same day was when he went into the temple, remember? And he saw that they were, you know, selling sacrifices for 10 times what they should and that they were exchanging money at an extremely high rate, some say 25%. So he sees that, he sees that they've made his father's house a den of thieves and he starts flipping tables over and he makes a cord and chases, out the, uh, chases the animals out. And tells them, "Hey, you know this is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you 've made it a den of thieves or a place for robbers, right so that all happened on Sunday, so we find out that this happens the next morning, so this is the day after the morning after the temple temp, the, the the temple thing or we 'll just call it the temple tantrum no i 'm just kidding the, the <laughs> where the temple uh uprising happened there so we're this is Monday, okay, and this is literally The last Monday that he's going to be on earth in this form. Okay, The last Monday, he's going to be crucified on Friday, four days later. Now, it says that he became hungry, which makes sense, because it was breakfast time. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. How many people are like me? I am starving at breakfast time. How many people are starving at breakfast time? Okay, how many are the weirdos that don't eat breakfast? What is wrong with you? It's the most important meal of the day. I'm just saying, I mean I am when I get up in the morning i'm not kidding you i that's what kills me with diets, you know because I 'm like, yeah, I can do that, I can eat a salad. But when I get up in the morning, I want gravy and biscuits, you know I, you know pop tarts, I'm not picky, right <laughs> but I'm starving, so I imagine you know after all the events that happened the night before, he's probably starving also, so he sees this fig tree and it had leaves on it, which is important because. The trees, the fig trees, they had an early fruit and a late fruit, and the early fruit would come on on these fig trees either right before or while the leaves were coming on. So if the leaves were completely on the tree, if it were full of leaves, it should have had fruit. That's an indication that the early fruit is there, because the Palestinian fig tree produced this edible green fruit uh, at the beginning of the season, right as the leaves came on. As soon as the leaves were on, it was there. Uh, and a lot of the more poor people would, would pick that and eat it. They like to eat it. So it was like a, a an early green fig. So Jesus is hungry, and he sees this, this tree, and he's like, well, it's got all the leaves on it, right? I mean, this should be a perfect place to get some fruit. But the tree is kind of deceptive because it looks like a normal fig tree. It has all the signs of bearing fruit like the fig tree should have. It's the right season for it to bear that fruit. I mean, the, he should have found fruit on that tree because it wasn't like dead and rotting and, you know, falling in pieces over there. It was a good-looking fig tree with all its leaves. So he, he walks over trying to get some fruit off of it, and you would expect to find fruit on it, and there was nothing there. Now imagine the letdown. He's hungry, and he sees this beautiful tree that has all the signs of bearing grapefruit. It looks like a grapefruit-bearing tree. And he walks up, and there's nothing on it. It's kind of like when we are hungry, and we see the golden arches, right? And we expect a greasy, heart-clogging burger and fries, right? Let me, t- let me tell you a story, and this is a true story. I was in Elkhart one time, and I was starving. I mean, I was starving, and I normally don't eat at McDonald's much. Not that I don't like it. It just doesn't like me, and I'm like, I gotta eat something, and I came around the corner and there was a McDonald's. I saw the golden arches, and you could like hear the angels. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? A quarter pounder with cheese sounds good. So I start, you know, I pull into the drive thru This is no joke. I pull up to the drive-through speaker, and the lady comes on. You know, you can barely hear them. Ask me what I want, and I said, Yeah, I'll take a quarter pounder with cheese meal. And she goes, I'm sorry, we don't have any beef. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And I'm like, is there there a camera somewhere? Is this a joke? Am I getting punked? I'm going, say what? She goes, we don't have any beef. I'm like, you're McDonald's. I don't care if you give me real beef. I want your beef. Beef is what you do. She goes, I'm sorry. We literally ran out of beef, and, and the order didn't come in. We don't have any beef. She said, now we have fries, and we have chicken nuggets. And I'm like, no thanks. So I drove away. Talk about a letdown, you know? You know how you get your mouth set for something? Another time, this is going to sound strange because my mouth, like once I hit every Halley's Comet, craves this. But I was in Kendallville, and I craved Long John Silver. Don't ask me why. It happened. And I thought, I'm going to eat some fish. So I pull in, up to the drive-thru, where I'm evidently cursed. And I said, I'll take a a three-piece fish dinner. And I told them all the fixings and all that stuff. And she goes, I'm sorry, sir, we're out of fish. This is like two months later. And I go, this is what you do. Nobody would eat anything else you serve if there wasn't fish with it. We still have hush puppies. Forget your hush puppies. There's no fish. I was so let down because when you go to Long John Silver's, what's your mouth set for? Fish and heartburn. And so th- this this had to be kind of what Jesus felt like. Let me make it more applicable for those of you who don't eat fast food, right? Fast food—that's an oxymoron. That's like honest politician. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> fair taxes. But um, imagine you went to Starbucks for all you people who like to pay eight bucks a cup for coffee. Imagine you go to Starbucks and you say, "I would like a coffee, please." And they say, I'm sorry, sir, we don't have any coffee. And you go, well, okay, then I'll take an espresso. I'm sorry, sir, we don't have any coffee products at all. I'm like, so what do you have? I mean, that would be what you would ask, right? Oh, I mean, we have some tea, and we have cake pops. I'm like, tea? You know? Would you be happy if all they had was tea? I would take the cake pops. I'm not going to lie. I'd take four. (laughs) I'd be like, okay, then. I'm not leaving because I want four birthday cake cake pops. Thank God you sell those. But no, you know, when you have your mouth and you're ready to eat this, Jesus was ready to eat this, all the indications were that the fruit was going to be on the tree. When you pull into McDonald's, you expect beef. When you pull into Long John Silver's, you expect fish. When you pull into Starbucks, you expect to get overcharged. It's It's just one of those things, right? And yet, there were no figs on this tree. There was nothing on it. It looked like it should have them. It didn't have them it had the appearance of fruitfulness, but there was no fruit right and because it had no fruit, this is the part that seems kind of weird Jesus says there's there's no fruit, so you will never produce anything again, and the tree dies. okay, everybody gets quiet because does that does that seem like it's a little harsh does that I mean does that kind of seem like Jesus made a real harsh move there just sporadically is that kind of what it feels like that's not really what's going on okay that's not what going what's going on at all remember this is jesus this is the creative part of the godhead this is the one who created the earth and everything in it this is the one that hung the stars of the sky and told them to stay and they obeyed him this is the creator the creative influence if he wanted figs on that tree what could he have done he just said make figs now and there have been figs on it with fries there's fries he could have made it happen It was not about this tree. He had nothing against this tree. Nothing against it. He was just taking advantage of an opportunity to teach them something. And because they had just left the temple, because they had just witnessed the mockery that the Jews and the priests had made of what was supposed to be a holy place, a house of prayer, Because they had just done that, he is using this as an opportunity to teach them about Israel. This really isn't about the tree. It's about Israel. He wanted to teach about the spiritual condition of Israel. And that may not make sense to you until you realize that the the fig tree is actually like the national symbol for Israel. And the reason was it was plentiful everywhere. I mean, they ate it in everything. There was different kinds. They made like fig newtons. No joke. They made fig newtons back then. Something similar. I mean, it was a big staple food product, and in the Old Testament, God would compare the nation of Israel to a fig tree, or figs, often. If the nation was doing poorly, they would be bad figs, or the trees would be barren. If it were doing well and and being obedient, it would be abundant with figs, and it would be healthy. I'm just going to read one passage. There's a ton of them. But Jeremiah 24, starting in verse 4, says, Uh, Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, thus says the Lord God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard the good captives of Judah. These are Jewish the people from the Jewish nation at that time of Judah, "uh, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good and I will bring them again into this land and I will build them up and not overthrow them. And I will plant them and not pluck them up and I will give them a heart to know me. For I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. uh, For they will return to me with their whole heart. But like the bad figs, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness, indeed, thus says the Lord, so I will abandon Zedekiah, king of Judah. This also is people from the Jewish nation uh, who were not being obedient. King of Judah and his officials and the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land and the ones who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a terror... And an evil for all the kingdoms of the earth, as a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places where I will scatter them. So we see that the Jews would have understood as he started going on with this what he was talking about because they had been compared to the fig tree and to figs many times in the Old Testament. And what he was trying to say is like the fig tree had the leaves, that meant it should have fruit, it looked good. It looked like a productive tree. There was every reason for anyone around it to believe that it was a productive, fruit-bearing tree. But when he got up to the tree, the tree was deceptive. It wasn't bearing any fruit. He's saying just like that, the nation of Israel has become religious because they look like they're sincere. They wear the right things. They say the right things. They keep the right religious festivals. They do all the thing that you would think a religious Jewish person would do. They look righteous on the outside. Like that fig tree, if you looked at them, you would say, gosh, according to Jewish tradition, they must be good. But what he was trying to say is they look like they're good, but they don't produce any fruit. There is nothing about them other than their look that says they are righteous because they've abandoned me. Like this tree has abandoned the fruit that should be there, they have abandoned the fruit of the Spirit. They are not my people or like they should be as my people. Now, what is the fruit that Jesus expects to see from them or from any believer? Fruit, when you talk about fruit, people I say, well, that Christian is not bearing fruit. It's symbolic of actions that result from God's presence in you. Things you do that people can see God is doing through you, right? That's good fruit. When you do good works for God, that's what fruit is, and that's what they're talking about here, right? And God has the right to expect not just Israel. He has the right to expect every one of us to bear fruit. He has that right. And the reason is, is because the moment we believed, he made us a new person that is capable of producing good fruit. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5.17, It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, what? New things have come, meaning you've got a whole new perspective, a whole new compass in here. The Holy Spirit's living in here. He has every right to expect you to produce good fruits if you are a believer. He has every right to do that. And he had every right to expect the Jews to bear the fruit that they should be bearing, the holiness of God. He had every right to do that. And what's sad is they were in such bad condition. I mean, terrible condition that they weren't showing any fruit because this tree had none. And that was the comparison, right? So let's take a look at what some of the fruit that they should have been bearing should have been. Listen to all the opportunities here. Galatians chapter 5, 22, starting in verse 22. It says the fruit of the spirit, capital S talking about the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Right? Here's several he's mentioned. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But Israel had none of it. None of it. That's how bad they had become. This is how far they had fallen from God. I mean, they had fallen so far, they didn't even recognize God's Messiah. Do you? Uh, if you just take a, a casual look at the scripture, you'll see that There were all these prophecies that only the Messiah could fill. Jesus fulfilled every one of them up to this point. And they knew the word of God better than anybody. They knew that it said the Messiah would do that. They knew that he did that. And yet they still absolutely refused to believe in him. They had no fruit at all. All their attention, every bit of their attention was focused on religion, which is not the same thing as righteousness, I hope you know. Religion is the appearance, is the rules, right? They had all their focus on religion, on greed, and on power. They had lost sight of what God's plan actually was, so much so that they missed their Messiah. And when he said, I'm the Messiah, they rejected him, and said, they said, we're just going to trust in the law. Now, that's a big statement. I don't know if you realize this, the law wasn't designed to save anybody. And no one can keep it except Jesus. But they had become so arrogant, so self-righteous, that they honestly believed they could keep all of the law, every bit of it. They really believed that. They're like, we don't need you. Do you know who we are? We're the Pharisees. We're the Sadducees. We're the ones everybody looks up to. Are you kidding? We don't need some carpenter's son to tell us he's the Messiah. We'll just... We'll just accomplish this on our own by being righteous. And they actually believed they could do that. And because of that, like the fig tree, they were cursed and doomed to wither up and die. Now I'll explain why. The Apostle Paul told us that anyone who trusts in the law for eternal life is cursed. In our terms, it would be anybody who trusts in their good works for eternal life is cursed. Because nobody can be good enough just like nobody can keep the law. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 9, it says, So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his what? Under his curse, for the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. There were over 300 of those and they added more. I don't know why they couldn't keep the 300 they had, but over 300 of them, nobody could keep it. God gave them the law to say, here's what righteousness requires. You're so never going to be there. You need Jesus. That's why he gave us the law. Right. Verse 11. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture said, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has what? Rescued us us from what? The The curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. So, I mean, this is really plain. This is really plain. He's saying, because you have rejected everything that you're supposed to believe in, which is the Messiah, Because you are nowhere near righteous, you're phony, you look good, you look righteous, you say righteous things, but your works and and the lack of fruit prove that you are not righteous. And because you've rejected my Messiah, you are cursed. Because no one can be made right except through him, so you're doomed. You are doomed. And they were doomed in more than one way. See, because remember how they valued their temple that they had misused and turned into a place of profit? They loved that temple because, first of all, it was a cash cow. You know, they were rolling in it because they're cheating people left and right. They probably got Mercedes and big stereos. I mean, they were rolling in it. They loved that place. And he says, well, because of this, like the tree, they're going to wither up and die. You know, around 70 A.D., so not long after this, a Roman general named Titus came in and Absolutely destroyed that city. Laid it waste, took thousands hostage, I mean, made them slaves, killed thousands, and literally destroyed everything in the temple. Laid it flat, raised it, there wasn't anything left, just mowed it over. So part of the withering happened just a few years later when that happened. But the worst part of that withering he was prophesying was the fact that they died without believing, and there's no hope for someone that dies without believing. There's no second chance after death. They died without believing. They rejected the Messiah. So they missed out on the one thing every Jew dreamt of. And that was being part of Christ's kingdom. That was over for them. Because like that fruit tree, like that fig tree, they withered. They were supposed to produce, and they didn't. So no matter how good they looked or how good they sounded, they had no fruit. Do you realize that there are going to be people someday standing before God? Saying, but I did this, and I wore this, and I gave this. And he's going to say, sorry. As a matter of fact, Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And let me stop for a second. Because every time you read this, people say, aha. It says, only the people who do the will will. Of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. It says, they go, look, it says do. They have to do something. You want to know what doing the will is? John six forty says, For this is the will of my Father, that all who behold the Son and believe in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So what is the will? Doing the will of the Father? Believing in Jesus Christ. That's doing the will of the Father. Okay, let's jump back in. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there are going to be people who looked righteous like the fig tree. They had the leaves. They were in season. There was just no fruit. Right? There are going to be people who fool everybody. Now, I want to throw something in there that I could preach on for an hour, but I'm not going to. Notice he says, I never knew you. If you play this scenario out when they, play this, uh, when they talk about this in other places in the Gospels, it says, there's one line whom it says, I never knew you, and there's another line that he says, enter in, good and faithful servant. There is no line for the people he once knew and no longer knows. You know why? Because that doesn't exist. Once you know him, he knows you. There's no losing your salvation. Once once he has known you, he may know you as faithful or unfaithful. He may be able to reward you or not, but if you've believed, he knows you and you're coming in. That's another sermon. Don't get me started. Anyway, let's move on. So, there are still people today who look the part, say the right things, they sound religious, but they absolutely have no fruit. Okay, that doesn't mean they're not saved. I mean, they may not be, but that doesn't mean they're not saved. It just It just means that if they are saved, they're in trouble, because they're not bearing any fruit. Let me give you some examples. For those of you who lived through the 80s, I heard about it. (laughs) But those of you who lived through the 80s, remember televangelism? And not all televangelists are bad, but the 80s, we had some doozies, didn't we? And I just want to see, I want you just to say out loud the first 80s televangelist that comes to your mind. Jim Baker, isn't that ironic? Because they came on the air, and were, they, oh my gosh, they said the right things, and Tammy batted her ninth eyelashes. <laughs> right? It looked like ninja spiders. And they said how much they loved you, and how much they wanted to help you, and how much they love God. And if you just give a little bit of money, we're going to help people in, you know, in other countries and deliver the gospel to people. And they ended up being close to a billion-dollar industry and then we're caught with air-conditioned dog houses and all kinds of expensive cars and tax evasion and, and misappropriation of funds and affairs, and it was a train wreck. But they had everybody fooled for a long time. Ironically, after all that mess, they got back on the air and were still raising millions. What is wrong with us? You know what I mean? But anyway, I mean, there are people like that. There's still people like that today. People who look the part but just don't bear The fruit. So here's the thing. I mean, if you're not bearing fruit, it doesn't mean you're not saved. But like I said, it does mean that you are headed for destruction like that tree. You are headed for destruction, I I promise you. And here's why. God will not bless hypocrisy. If you do one thing and say another, that's hypocrisy. The word uh, is used to describe an actor, okay, is what it actually means. A hypocrite is an actor. Okay, God will not bless hypocrisy. Do you know that is the number one reason, no matter what, you know, what you look at, what poll you look at, what sample you look at, every, the number one reason that people say they don't go to church is because of the hypocrites. You know that? I always tell them, come on out, we can always use one more. No, I'm just kidding. But listen, hypocrites, and all of us, let's be honest for a second here, all of us have been a hypocrite, haven't we, at one time or another? All of us have. I know one personally, very personally. I know one that really means it when they say they're going to pray for you, but sometimes they don't. And they really mean it when they say, I'm going to be there for you, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're so sidetracked with themselves that they forget about you. Sometimes they mean to be righteous. I know this person so close. You know who that is? Scotty, but he's working really hard. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me. Listen, and if and if you're honest, you're you're that way too. There's times you hold grudges against people for no reason because of prejudice, because of bitterness from years ago. We are believers. We're not supposed to look like that. We're not supposed to function like that. So hypocrisy. <coughs> Sorry, that might be coming again. Anyway, so one thing for sure, I mean... If you claim it, check yourself and make sure you show it, right? If you claim it, check yourself and make sure you show it because you are, if you're not showing it, if you don't have fruit, I told you what those fruits were. If you don't have that, something's wrong and it's not for me to tell you. People say, well, I mean, I haven't been showing that fruit. Am I not saved? That's, I hate it when people go around saying who is and who isn't saved. People like that have a lot of, that just drives me crazy. I'm like, who the heck do you think you are? you think you're going to sit on the 12 thrones? Do you know? No one can look at you and tell you whether you're saved or not. We can't do that. I don't care what you're doing. That's between you and God. But (coughs) if you have a cough, it means no. Um, (laughs) If you're not producing, find out why. Either you have drifted away from God. And you know how it happens slowly. Anybody ever been there? Just wake up one day and you, God's like nowhere to be found around you. Anybody been there? I have. Because I'm busy in the work. My leaves look great. I got Nike leaves. <laughs> <clears throat> you know? But I've been sidetracked with this. Sometimes you can get so sidetracked with church you fall away from God. You know? You're churchy as heck, you're just not very close to God. And what ends up happening is one day you look up and you go, I don't feel him. I don't reveal him to anybody. I'm actually kind of bitter and busy and angry. I, I talk the part, but man, I just don't know that I walk it. That can happen to you. That can happen to you. Does that mean you're not saved? No, it means you need to get back in the will of God so that you can bear fruit again. That's why We exist. And listen, the other answer might be maybe you're not saved. I don't know. If you, That's something you have to search your soul. There, has there ever been a time when you've trusted Christ for your eternal life completely? If there hasn't been, I mean, that's the only way. So we know what that problem is, right? But either way, we have got to check that out. We've got to know. We've got to know what it is because you're in a serious situation either way that requires immediate attention. Immediate attention if if you're not bearing any fruit, right? Changes have to be made. And here's what what it boils down to. The fruit God is looking for is active faith. Active faith. Say that with me. Active faith. That means faith that does something. Okay, not that just talks, but faith that does something. He doesn't want the appearance of faith. He wants the application of faith. You see what I mean? He doesn't want you to look good. He wants you to be good, as good as you can be. That means do something because of your faith. That's what he's looking for. Now, this is where we get into the part where, you're, where you find out why I called this faith, how faith moves mountains. Because at this point, you're probably going, why did he even call it that? He hasn't said anything about it. You'll see. Matthew 21, starting in verse 20. It says, seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Anybody ever heard this passage? Anybody ever heard it misused? Okay, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. This does not mean that faith is a means through which you can indulge your your lusts and your selfishness and your greed. Think how dumb that would be if Jesus just scolded the Jews for being self-righteous and turns around and promotes selfishness. Can you imagine that? He's saying, don't make my temple into a den of thieves. I'm flipping your tables over. I'm running your animals off. Right. I'm telling you that you bear no fruit. But if you pray and ask for anything, I'll give you anything. Money, women, you ask. That's not what he's saying. This is not what he's saying. This is not promoting selfishness. Right. And he wasn't telling them, if you're really good, I want you to go town to town and do this parlor trick where you throw mountains into the water. That's not what he was saying. Okay, because sometimes I think we we don't understand what he was doing here. The mountains here are a metaphor. For the impossible being possible for those who have active and alive faith. It's a metaphor. I don't know what that mountain is in your life. I don't know what, what the enemy's going to throw in front of you as a mountain, but the metaphor says that if you are trying to accomplish God's will, nothing he throws in front of you will matter because you can cast it away. This was the metaphor he was trying to use, right? He was saying, he was talking about faith that won't be distracted, faith that won't be dissuaded, faith that won't be discouraged. That kind of faith has power, and that's the kind of faith that moves mountains. Faith that, that faith that remembers that God created the world, he can certainly help us navigate it and be successful in it, am I right? That's, this is the kind of faith he's talking about, faith that knows that whatever God asks you to do, he will also empower you to do. Not the kind of faith that when God's putting something on your heart, you're going, Oh, but what if? What if they don't like me? What if I can't? What that's not the kind of faith that moves mountains. The kind of faith that moves mountains says, God asked me to do this, He'll empower me to do this. Show me what to do, Lord. That's the kind of faith that moves mountains. Right? He has, I mean, he was just basically teaching them that the most powerful tool a believer has is faith if they would make it active. Okay, and and the reason he used the mountain illustration is they were on the Mount of Olives. Okay, and at the right time of the year, you could look off the Mount of Olives and see the Dead Sea in the distance. Okay, so they're thinking about, how did he do this, man? That seems impossible. And he looks at him and he says, hey, you can do more than that. If you just have active faith that comes from a fruitful life of a believer, you can do more than that. Nothing could hinder you. As a matter of fact, if this mountain were hindering you from serving God, you could cast it into the Dead Sea you're looking at right there. You see what I mean? He was making an example of this because they were on the Mount of Olives. He was just saying, anything is possible for the faithful and the fruitful, the people who are trying to accomplish God's will, no matter what mountain they throw at you, you can cast it into the sea through faith because nothing's impossible to those who have active faith. Now, I'm going to warn you about something, and some of you should probably know this. I hope you do. When you start having active faith, when you start stepping out for God, the enemy is going to attack you. Not maybe. He's gonna. I hate it when people say, I've never been attacked by the enemy. Then you suck. <laughs> I'm just saying. That sounds horrible, but I'm just going to be honest with you. That just means that you're not a threat. You know what that means? That mean, You don't guard the guy that can't shoot either. If you're like, I'm always open. You can't shoot. That's why you're always open. They always piss me right up the middle. You can't hit. Right? The devil never bothers me. You're no threat. You haven't done anything. Okay? I mean, that's the Chris Mosley way of saying it. All the other preachers will get mad about it. But you know what? I think you get my drift, don't you? That's why if you step out, the enemy will attack you. That's what he's going to do. You know, he's going to show you mountains after mountains every time you want to step out and do something. And you're just going to have to remember that your faith can move it no matter what it is. If you're trying to accomplish the will of God, it doesn't matter what the mountain may be. It might be addiction. I have witnessed so many people be delivered from addiction by God. There's plenty of them sitting in this room. I'm one of them. Look at these hands going up. That's awesome. Hey, the world says you need 12 steps. I say you need one. Give it to Jesus. It can that mountain can be moved. Marriage problems, why do we give up on our marriages? Why do we give up on our marriages? Every time there's a struggle in our marriage, we act like it can't be fixed. Listen, I understand there's bad situations out there. But most of the time, the one who created male and female and made them capable of procreating, he can also fix the marriage. Did you know that? If you will surrender it to him, he can move that mountain, if that's the mountain in your life, financial problems, whatever it may be, depression, whatever it may be, he can move those mountains if you trust him with that. Because here's, here's the way it goes. The enemy is always going to show you what you can't do and why. He's going to do that. Don't start that ministry. Are you kidding me? That's not going to work in Kendallville. This is a small town. That's not going to work. Are you stupid? Don't do that. Who's going to come? Nobody knows you. When we first started this church, that's what the enemy was telling me left and right. Are you serious? You used to close those bars down. Who in the world is going to hear you preach, fool? I mean, he had me freaked out. This is what he does. He tells us what we can't do and why. But it's time we start telling him what we can do and how we can do it. And Philippians 4.13 says how. For I can do what? Through Christ who gives me strength. You know, when he says you can't and here's why, why don't we look at him And say, I don't believe that mountain. I'm just going to move it out of the way. Because Jesus said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, you're right. I can't do it. You're right. They shouldn't want to come and see me. I am a failure. You're right. I can't beat addiction. But through him, that mountain can be cast into the sea. That's why I can. I think that's so important that we remember that. Because that's the kind of faith that moves mountains. You want to know how to move mountains? Active living faith that's how you move mountains now before i close i want a little bit of practical application here i want to share with you i don't want you to just hear this message feel good and go home forget it when's the last time you really evaluated your walk with christ and i mean honestly not where you ask your friend and they go oh no you're good (laughs) that's what they're going to tell you what are they going to say you're right you are terrible they're not going to say that When's the last time you sat down between you and God and evaluated your faith? You say, am I producing fruit? Or am I just making sure my leaves look good? Do I just want to look like I'm productive or do I want to be productive? When's the last time you actually evaluated your life like that? Because I'll tell you what, all of us, me included, need to do that regularly. Because it's easy to fall into the great leaves, no fruit mode. It really is. You need to evaluate that because if you want to have the faith that moves mountains, keep yourself evaluated. Know where you stand. Know where you stand with God and be honest with yourselves. One more thing. You notice this kind of a side application. You notice that Jesus needed sustenance from that tree. That's what he needed. He needed strength from that tree. He didn't provide it. See so you know what he did? He killed it. Got it out of his life. There are trees in our lives There are sources that we are trying to draw strength from that are poor sources that do not provide what they promise. And you know what? We keep going back to them and expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity. You know what? We may be, I don't know what it is, alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever it is. There's something we keep going back to, hoping that's going to give us the fulfillment, the sustenance we need. Listen, it's time you just admit it's not doing the job. It's time to burn that thing down. And get it out of my life. I only want trees in my life. That when I go to them. Make me stronger. Make me produce fruit. And make me have faith. That move mountains. That's all I want in my life. Everything else. I'm just going to let it wither away. And get it out of my life. That's another thing I want you to take with this. Listen. Time is short. Identify who you are. Accept it. Face it head on. And make the changes. Because. When you change, God can use you to change others. I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask you, Wood, to please bow your heads. If this is your first time, we always like to give an invitation, very brief. And here's why. I just, I remember that day when the pastor had the invitation. If it wasn't for that, I would have walked out. So every head is bowed. You know, I don't bring people up front and stuff because I think that's creepy, but I don't want to put undue pressure on you. I just want to pray for you. And if there's someone here who doesn't know Christ, or you're not sure where you stand with Christ, I remember sitting out there going, I don't know. And I remember he said, just make eye contact with me, and I'll pray for you. And it changed my life, because I finally admitted something wasn't right. If that's you, and you'd like me to pray for you, just make eye contact, put your head right back down, bless those people. I'm not going to chase you down, I'm not going to email you, bless those people. am not going to... Not going to try to find you and try to persuade you. I'm going to pray because the Holy Spirit's so much better at that than I am. Bless those people. Bless those people. Bless those people. Listen, if you're listening online, God knows. But I'm telling you, the first step is realizing I can't do this alone. I've made a mess of things. Whether people can see it or not, I know it. I need you. And once you make that step, you're never going to be the same. And for those of us who are believers, I really have a burden for us. Because, gosh, I just think we're a beautiful, leafy bunch. But I just don't know if we got much fruit. And I really want us to deal with that issue so we can have active faith. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. I'm just so thankful for all that you do. I'm amazed that you could love someone like me. I'm the only one that knows how bad I was, how far I'd fallen. I'm the only one that knows how your grace reached down right where I was and picked me up. Not because of what I'd done, but because of what Jesus did. All I did was believe. God, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, no doubt they have all these fears and all this different religious jargon going through their minds. I just want all that cleared out because your word says he who believes has eternal life. If they can just trust in what Jesus did to guarantee their eternal life, your word says they'll have it. And if they make that decision, I pray they reach out to us or reach out to someone that's near them, that's a good Christian friend or organization, because we want to make sure that there's someone to walk with them in their journey. And God, for those of us who know you, don't let us be satisfied. Don't let us be satisfied with just looking the part We want to live the part. God, let us be powerful. Let us bear the fruit that will draw others to you. Let people hear you when they hear us and see you when we do things. God, we just want to draw people to you so that they might experience your wonderful grace also. God, we just thank you and as we leave here today, we pray that you'd keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. If you don't return to take us home before we meet again, we just pray that We would be excited to come back and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of at least one more time. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.